The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Well, hello there and welcome in a brand new month of fight previews. And man, oh man, do we have a bunch of fights to get to, a bunch of championship fights to get to. From Melbourne, Australia to Minnesota, hello, to Cardiff, Wales, and even all the way back to the Far East in Japan uh, for early next week. We've got the preview mode on championship fight after championship fight, and we are here as part of the Big Fight Weekend preview. Great to be with Dan Rayfield once again, our insider, our content partner. Much to get to, including straight up, straight ahead, we're going to hear from the unified super bantamweight do we prefer that or do we prefer like junior featherweight? I got to ask Dan Rayfield that the unified one or the other super bantamweight junior featherweight champion is Stephen Fulton. He's defending and you talked to him uh, just recently here before his title fight in Minnesota. Dan, welcome. And we're looking forward to a lot of championship previews here. Absolutely. And just for the record, I always have preferred to use the junior uh, instead of the super. And that goes back to my days at USA Today when we did a ranking system that I was responsible for where we put together the junior weight classes and the senior weight classes to show you the depth of it. If the guys fought as it were the old school eight divisions. And I just sort of have stuck with that ever since. So whenever you read me or you hear me speak about it or whatever, you know, most of the time, unless there's a reason I'll refer to the weight classes as the juniors, except for super middleweight, because there is no junior super middleweight. That's very true. So yeah, it's just a matter of preference. It's not that one is wrong and, and, and no, the organizations themselves even, even vary it up and one calls it super this or junior that. We just try to keep it all straight. But There's another thing in boxing that tries to confuse uh, those sure. who are trying to break in and become fans. Because we don't have enough of that already. In any event, Stephen Fulton is here. He's fighting Danny Roman. Main event, Showtime, coming up Saturday night from Minnesota. You'll hear from him right here on this podcast and just a little bit in the preview mode as Dan had a one-on-one opportunity with him in advance of that fight. Again, George Cambosis, Devin Haney for all them belts. All them belts at lightweight. Uh, that is coming in Melbourne, Australia, Saturday night, U.S. time, Sunday afternoon, Australia time. We're going to be previewing that fight. Uh, again, much to get to, news of the week, and a lot of it. Reminder, however you found us, Big Fight Weekend website, social media link, through Dan's social media, uh, through his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. however you found us, make sure you're following or subscribing. You're getting great content off this podcast feed. Preview mode with this podcast, usually out Friday, Friday by midday at the latest, sometimes earlier, it's out. Uh, and then we come back in, Dan, as you know, we've been doing a great job and gotten a lot of response off the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast, where we recap the weekend. That's usually out Monday, sometimes late night, Sunday night, if it's uh, if it's advanced and if it's if it's worthy enough. So again, just stay on this feed, follow or subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get all of it uh, right here on the show. And we even dropped a heavyweights version, the TopHeavyweights.com podcast earlier in the week. And, uh, and that had some good stuff on it for the upcoming fights, the Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk rematch, et cetera. Again, I enjoy Sean from topheavyweights.com, that podcast on this feed as well, if they follow and subscribe. And that's the perfect segue because, man, do we have a story about some heavyweights that have got to be angry right about now. Uh, a cruiserweight, actually, and a former light heavyweight world champion in Sergey Kovalev, but a couple of heavyweights in the Pulev brothers uh, from Bulgaria, including uh, Krubat Pulev, who's the former uh, world champion, because these guys fought on the Triller pay-per-view card in Inglewood, California, May 14th. And they, at the moment, as we release the podcast, have not been paid, at least as far as we know as of yet. You broke the story, Dan Rayfield. Let's begin right there. News of the week. What is up with these guys not getting paid? Well, Triller's had a long track record of doing things that are a little bit unseemly. And they've had uh, a number of issues through their brief time in boxing going back to the end of 2020 with their first event, which was the Iron Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. exhibition match. And this is just another in a long, uh, you know, track record of having problems with events. And there's always seems to be some kind of issue. Um, and in the end, uh, you know, Kubrat Pulev, who the former world title challenger, he was never a world champion, but he did fight for the title twice uh, against Anthony Joshua. And before that against Vladimir Klitschko, he fought in the co-feature, uh, uh, you know, of that card against Jerry Forrest. And in the main event was Kovalev moving up to cruiserweight to fight his brother, Tervel Pulev. And uh, again, according to my sources, uh, excellent sources, by the way, I wouldn't write a story like that after 20 plus years in this business if I didn't have that dead to rights. It wasn't a one-source story. There's at least probably four, four, four or 
about four sources, five sources for that information. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, the way that it's normally done on a boxing event is you either get a check that night or you've made arrangements that it's going to be wired to uh, whatever account you describe, uh, you know, in the, in the Monday or Tuesday after the fight, that sort of stuff. You know, if it's a big, massive amount, if it's a gigantic pay-per-view, which this wasn't, maybe, you know, X number of dollars within a week, maybe it's more at, you know, two weeks. But the point is, this was not at that level. The, the, the whole nut for the event was, you know, under $2 million. Uh, and at the end of the day, they didn't get paid yet. And so there, there's some angry people out there that haven't gotten their money, understandably. And in terms of Jerry Forrest, uh, his promoter is Lou DiBella. They hadn't gotten paid. Uh, my sources tell me that DiBella... Uh, paid Jerry Forrest and his manager eventually was reimbursed for that money by Triller, but still doesn't have what he's owed off the fight. Cause obviously he's making money from the event also. And in terms of the Pulev brothers and Kovalev have not received the money unless something's happened in the last, you know, what, eight hours, uh, you know, since uh, the day began. Uh, but you know, it's a problem. And, and as I have said, um, and this is not, uh, I'm not like going to just harp on it with Triller. This would be for any promoter personally, TJ, I find the single most reprehensible thing you can do in the sport of boxing, in the business side, the single worst thing without question, nothing else comes close, that you make a deal with boxers, put these men and women in the ring, have them put their lives on the line when they're doing it to get paid so they can take care of their families and take care of themselves and their life the way that it's a job for them and to get out and not get their money. It's just unconscionable. So hopefully, hopefully everybody... Uh, they'll work it out and, and everybody that's supposed to get what they're supposed to get gets paid and uh, and we move on. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly just another uh, negative thing towards the way Triller has conducted its business since they've been involved in boxing. And, and to that end, you laid this out that in Kovalev's case, it's half a million dollars, according to the California State Athletic Commission. I mean, this is but not... Pins. probably more than that and it's yeah. probably more than that that the the Pulevs, it's close to 400 grand combined a couple hundred grand each so um the, the thing that i'm thinking of uh, with all of this is they they have just spiraled downward from where they came on the scene with the jake paul pay-per-view the tyson roy jones and now we're at the point where you don't even apparently have a million dollars or half a million dollars to make this right even when these guys that are used to being paid on time or being lenient with you and gave them at least a couple of weeks to come up with the money. They still don't have the money. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't, I can't speak to what's in their bank account, but they have, you know, a reputation of trying to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, that's the bottom line. And uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate too, because uh, frankly uh, when they put that card together, I was like, you know what, considering all the kind of like wacko fights they've done with YouTubers and, and exhibitions, that sort of stuff. You know, when it comes to like a real boxing event, like that was actually a pretty nice show. At the on the undercard, you had Evan Holyfield losing by an upset. You had the three uh, Fernando Vargas sons that were uh, in action, were up and coming fighters. Then they had the uh, two heavyweight fights, which were a good solid match. Uh, uh, the the heavyweight fight and the and the cruiserweight fight both were solid matchups with Kovalev coming back and the Kubrat Pulev fight. So, like as an event, I was like, oh, this is actually worthwhile. I wrote about it, I watched it, and you know, hopefully everybody will get their uh, business in order. At this point, though, educated speculation would be to me, they're all but out of the boxing business. I mean, because who's going to want to work with them? I'm saying this now. This is just me saying as, as my opinion. Who's going to trust them that you're going to get paid? You're in big trouble when this stuff gets out that you're not even paying the fighters. Uh, I don't know how much you want to go there or weigh in on that, but this, this to me, from a business and a future standpoint, it doesn't bode well about them continuing to do fights, just knowing I what I know about I business. Mean- I, what I would do if I was like representing a fighter and, and they approached me about putting one of my guys on their show is I would be willing to do business with them. But it's like you, what's the old saying? It's uh, trust and verify. You say, <laughs> okay, we'll do the show, but you got to put the money in an escrow account. And that way there's no, uh, you know, the funds are in place and we do the fight and then we get paid. So, so the analogy that I come out of golf and golf is kind of the serene, quiet, exact opposite of boxing with the savagery <laughs> and the brutality or whatever. But for a lot of these guys, when they get, uh, an opportunity to go somewhere for a payday, not, not the PGA tour, let's say, or a major championship like the U S open or the masters. It's the payday that supposedly when they're on the tee and their name is announced, ladies and gentlemen from Jupiter, Florida, here's the multi-time world champion, Tiger Woods, that there better be a ding in the direct deposit right there before we hit the tee shot and we're good or else we're not hitting the tee shot. You're kind of saying the same thing about boxing trust but verify but maybe it's also get it in advance or get most of it in advance or we're not fighting and that 
that at this point with Triller, who knows? But I, I don't know. I, I I think it's fair to say at this point, there's real doubt if they're going to be a player anymore in this. When a story well, they were like supposed what to have, you wrote comes out, how does anybody trust them, I say again? They were supposed to have an event on June 25th that was supposed to feature the return of Gerald Miller, the heavyweight, who's mm-hmm. been out because of uh, about 14,000 drug test failures. Uh, I'm being sarcastic. Right. But he had multiple drug test failures that cost him a shot at the heavyweight title against Anthony Joshua, then another one in his comeback after that on a top-ranked fight. And he was supposed to headline a trailer card. Uh, my understanding is that show was off, and, uh, uh, and and there's obviously they're having some issues. So, like I said, I've got no no uh, hate in my heart for Triller. I hope that they can get their house in order and and put on more good boxing events because to me, the more the merrier. You know, the better, the more competition there is for for the viewers and for the fighters' services, the better it is for the sport. So, um, we'll see. All right, let's move on. A couple of other news items here, including Gervonta Davis off of that win over Roley Romero Barclays Center last weekend. Davis gets the victory. And in some regards, it is now a pay-per-view success. You're going to go into this a little bit. We wrote about this. You actually tweeted about it as we're releasing the podcast. Uh, You tweeted about it on Thursday. We wrote about it on the Big Fight Weekend website. Put it in context, what you've learned to this point about the Davis-Romero pay-per-view numbers and what it means. And they're obviously going to replay the fight as part of the Showtime Championship fight card broadcast coming Saturday if you did not see the pay-per-view. Go ahead. Right, that fight will open that triple header. So if you missed it, it'll be the first fight they show on the broadcast Saturday, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, in any event, um, Tervante Davis is, is, is a growing uh, franchise in boxing. I mean, pay-per-view is different now than it was just even 10 years ago with the amount of streaming, the amount of options, and, and everything that goes on. So the numbers that you might have thought were like just average a few years ago can be considered very good these days. Uh, so Gervonta with the fight against Rolly Romero and Romero has to get credit for this number partly also because of the way he sold the fight with this crazy talk and predicting a first round knockout and, and just the back and forth between he and uh, Tank Davis. But Tank was the A side and it's his event. Uh, it was built around him and it was his fourth pay-per-view and it was the best performance he's had thus far on pay-per-view, which is if you're involved with his business or his broadcaster or PBC, or Mayweather promotions, that's what you want to see is, is, uh, is it's increasing and getting better and better. And it's not like the Romero fight was this much, much bigger fight than other fights. They've, they've all kind of been on similar level in terms of like the names and, and the, uh, and the, and the stakes and that sort of thing in the matchup. Uh, he did about 275,000 buys where they think it will settle. It's surpassed 250 according to source sources. And, uh, that's a good performance based on the way the pay-per-view era is now. That's a better number than say, and I'm not knocking this. That's a little bit better than like what Errol Spence did in, in his recent fight. It obviously is not on the same level as what the biggest pay-per-views do. Like if it's a Canelo Alvarez or say like Deontay Wilder's fights with uh, Tyson Fury or what Tyson Fury did in the UK when he fought Dillian White, for example. But if you're doing, you know, in the high two hundreds against Raleigh Romero, um, you know, that's that, that's a pretty good number. And again, it's the, the key here is that it's the best number of his four pay-per-views. You know, he did uh, a little bit less with Leo Santa Cruz. He had about 200 plus with uh, with uh, Mario Barrios. Same thing with Isaac Cruz. But it's uh, the, the, the franchise is growing. And, and also one thing I don't think some people realize about pay-per-view, they look at that number and say 275. Well, that's not a very good number. Well, guess what? That's a really good number when you consider if he had put that, if uh, they had made a deal to put that fight, let's say Showtime wanted to televise that not on pay-per-view and they right. sat with me with the promotions and worked it out. You know, Showtime's not coming up with a license fee to have $22 million, which is what that thing generated just on pay-per-view. And that doesn't even include foreign television sponsorships. And by the way, the sold out live gate uh, for millions of dollars at the Barclays Center. So uh, people say, why was it on pay-per-view? Here's why, because people bought it and it generated $22 million on pay-per-view, which is way more than it would have uh, been worth if if a broadcast sure. or Showtime or anybody else just wrote a check for it. So there's a reason. So they're in the tank business. They're in the tank Davis business at Showtime, and they're they're doing well. And the other thing that's important to know about pay per view is that if you can sell 275,000 pay per views, that exceeds the dollar figure of what you have to pay in terms of what the event costs in terms of all the expenses, the fighter purses, and all the other expenses that go into mounting that caliber of event. So a tank Davis makes his best money. If it does a certain number, he's probably cut in on the upside, and it's a win-win for everybody, you know, in terms of the people putting it on. Now, sure. maybe it's not the best for us 
because we got to pay 80 bucks for the pay-per-view. But again, no one's holding a gun to your head. You don't have to buy it. Well, and the other and the other component here is this is the new model. We've had Steven Espinoza on from Showtime on this. And even Eddie Hearn has talked about this with Matchroom. But Steven Espinoza, the president there with Showtime Sports, has talked about this is the new model now on you will make more, obviously, as the public is willing to buy more of your pay-per-view. And so we can guarantee you some to a certain extent, but the incentive for you to help sell it promotionally and to be spectacular as a fighter is you're going to make more off of this, the better it does. And anyway, that's, that's not the a new, new concept. But right, but that's, that's the new, new that's the new model as opposed to all of you guys thinking that we're just going to give you 15 million guaranteed or 20 million guaranteed. It's not there. We don't have it to give you. It is going to be based on can we all make this together off the pay-per-view, which is what you're saying. Right. I mean, there's every time there's been a pay-per-view when the networks have been involved, sometimes they've made a guarantee of a certain amount, but then it was up to the fighters to sell to get to a certain level. And it's not, that's not changed since the advent of the modern pay-per-view era back in, you know, the, what, like 1990 or 91 or whatever they did on HBO with TVKO with George Foreman against mm -hmm. Evander Holyfield. Um, the bottom line is in boxing, the more you sell, the more you make. And Tank Davis is not at the Mayweather level or the Canelo level or the, you know, Oscar De La Hoya level or Manny Pacquiao at this point, but he's a growing franchise. I'm not, I don't know if you'll ever get to that level, but you know, he's at a pretty good level right now. And based on what there is in boxing today, based on the, the fractured nature of our entertainment and where our money goes to buy events, uh, Tank Davis is right there as one of the key guys in the pay-per-view business, because you're talking about, at least in the United States of America, Canelo Alvarez, Tank Davis, uh, Errol Spence Jr. Um, and, you know, I guess to a lesser degree, because the, the it's only been against the Wilder, obviously Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder did great numbers for their two pay-per-view events. Fury's fights in the UK, Joshua's fights, Anthony Joshua in the UK have done uh, uh, great numbers over there. But I mean, those are the pay-per-view guys that are in this business right now. Well, and, and just one more, and then we're moving on, I promise, on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, that Canelo Alvarez originally coming to DAZN was to try to dispel what pay-per-view was worth. What they found out very quickly is we're leaving money on the table and we can't pay him what we're guaranteeing him without generating it through a pay-per-view. So even DAZN had to go back on that as a concept uh, of, of if he's going to be here making what he wants to make, and we've got to guarantee him. We've got to be able to sell pay per view to make it back. It's not. It's not just going to get there on nine ninety five a month subscription. Yeah, there was absolutely nothing about that that surprised me from the moment that they launched. And I was hoping it would be successful, obviously, because right. I'd rather have those types of fights on a, on a nine ninety nine a month type subscription than have to shell out extra money for it. But I mean, you could just see the writing on the wall. If yeah. they wanted to really be in the true pay per view business, in terms do of the math, like we say, exactly. do the math, do the math. So, you know. Uh, Tank Davis and his team, they're doing a lot of math with Showtime, and it's working out very nicely for them. Well put to, to wrap that up. All right, one more nugget, and then we're going to get to Stephen Fulton, the unified super bantamweight or junior featherweight uh, champion, uh, coming up here in just a couple of moments in the preview mode before his title fight on Saturday night. Uh, that is, speaking of Anthony Joshua, he has made a decision on trainer for the upcoming rematch. Anticipated rematch later this summer with Alexander Usyk for the unified heavyweight title. Tell me more about the decision to go with Robert Garcia and what you think of it, Dan Rayfield. Well, I mean, that that came out in the British press uh, this week that he was, in fact, going to bring on Robert Garcia as his trainer. Um, I confirmed that I have texted with Robert uh, and he has indeed said that, in fact, he is going to be the trainer for Anthony Joshua. And it's an interesting selection. Uh, he parted ways with Rob McCracken, who was uh, you know, his coach as an amateur and all the way through his professional career, they, you know, they took the loss together against Andy Ruiz. I thought Robert came up with a great game plan for him to fight against Ruiz in the rematch. He obviously won that, but then he lost to Usyk. And I think Joshua just felt like it was a, a time to make a change. Uh, this is a guy that I know that was difficult for uh, because Anthony is a creature of habit. I don't, I don't think he took any pleasure in, in switching things up because remember, if you look at his career, he's been with the same manager, same promoter, same broadcaster, et cetera, his entire career. So I think that was a tough Am I correct? Course. McCracken essentially discovered him as the teenager, right? As yes. the amateur and brought him into the boxing gym. So that had to be uh, heart-wrenching for him to look at him and yeah. say, I don't want you in the corner with me anymore. Just saying. So he's going to, he's, so Robert is going to be the trainer, but you know, I guess if you want to get technical, they're going to be co-trainers because he's keeping Angel Fernandez, who's been an assistant with Robert for the last three or four fights that Anthony has done. So he's comfortable with him also, but in Anthony, some of the things I've read, is that he felt like he needed also a little bit more experience in the corner. Obviously, Robert Garcia, former world champion of his uh, in his own boxing career, and has you know been in the corner for any number of big time uh, world title fights. He's trained 
you know, more than a dozen world champions. Uh, you know, Marcos Maidana, his brother, Mikey Garcia, you know, he's worked with Antonio Margarito, Brandon Rios. Um, there's others, I'm from, you know, Jesse Bam Rodriguez now is one of the flyweight champions. He's got uh, Joshua Franco, who's got like the secondary title in the junior bantamweight division. You know, Robert's been in the ring uh, as a trainer with a lot of top quality guys for a long, long time. He worked a little bit with Kelly Pavlik at one point. Um, so, you know, for Robert, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great opportunity for him to see if he can do it. He's never had a heavyweight uh, of, of consequence, to my knowledge. And, uh, but he's a two, 2012 trainer of the year. He's been consistently for the better part of the last, uh, you know, 15 years. Probably one of the best trainers in the entire sport. His, uh, uh, his gym has produced a, a tremendous amount of talent. And it's, it's going to be a good test for him. And we'll have to see if their styles can match. It's hard when, you, when you've been with the same guy for a long time to now suddenly make the switch. I've heard from fighters many times that, you know, it takes a couple of camps to get really in the groove with a guy. The thing is, you know, Joshua is a willing learner. He's always been, um, it, it, the way it's always been described to me, he's coachable, which is important. If you're a fighter, he's not, you know, he's open-minded to, to other ideas. And Garcia is obviously, uh, has a proven track record. Um, the thing about why he picked him was, you know, people have been following this uh, ever since the, this came up that he was going to split with uh, McCracken. At the end of last year, he came to the United States and he made the rounds. He went to Robert's gym and he spent a couple of days or weeks with him working out. He visited Virgil Hunter up in the Bay Area. He visited Houston and did the same thing with Ronnie Shields. He, you know, he went down to San Diego and he'd spent time with Eddie Reynoso. In other words, he wanted to just sort of interview and just get the feel, see how they would mesh personally uh, in terms of what their boxing styles were. And uh, I don't think anything bad to say about any of those guys. All those uh, trainers I just mentioned are that's the world class trainers uh, at the top in this country. Um, he liked Robert. He brought him over to England uh, in April for two weeks and they worked together some more. And he finally made the decision. I'm going with Robert Garcia for better or worse and see if he can help me get the world titles back. All right. Now we wait to see when they settle on a date and location. We believe it's going to be in Saudi Arabia in the Middle East on Usyk Joshua and the rematch and a new guy there in the corner. We do know this. Stephen Fulton, Danny Roman coming up Saturday night on Showtime Unified a 122-pound title fight. Uh, Fulton off the phenomenal battle with Brandon Figueroa. Our Dan Rayfield had an opportunity to talk with Stephen Fulton on all subjects, including that Figueroa win, the challenge with Roman Saturday night, headlining for Showtime, and much more. Let's hear that conversation right now. I've been a, a big boxing historian for a long time. I know the deep and rich history of Philadelphia boxing. You are Philadelphia's current reigning champion, and there are no other boxing champions in Philadelphia. And that's a long legacy of great fighters over the years. And I just wonder, from your point of view, how much of a big deal is that to you to rep such a great boxing hotbed, such a historical place like Philadelphia, which has produced uh, just a zillion world champions over the years? Uh, it's great because now I'm 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 a I'm amongst one of the names of many for Philadelphia boxing, and more 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 importantly, I'm about to be uh, high in the ranks of history in Philadelphia boxing, as far as like the Hall of Fame and things like that. Now, is there as this fight and get that undisputed? Exactly. Now, is there a is there a a past Philly fighter that you hold in the highest regard that's a, somebody you've studied or watched or looked up to or idolized or something like that? Nah, nah, not really. No Danny Garcia, no Bernard Hopkins going back even before that? Nah, but shout out to those guys. But no, nah, I, don't, I don't, I never like really looked up to any anybody. Okay. And yeah. Now, when you were coming up, you were making your name uh, fighting on some of the big Showtime and Fox undercards and, and, uh, and on, you know, on cards with other, you know, bigger names at that time. You really had your breakout fight, I think, uh, when you won the world title against Angelo Leo in January 2021, uh, still in the, in the pandemic, but you did that fight in the, you know, with no crowd and, uh, and looked really good and won the title. Uh, I wonder, in your mind, how did, I mean, I know you were confident going to that fight, but how do you think that changed the perspective of the of the fans out there, of the media out there, that whoa, Stephen Fulton's a real deal, and he's now a champion, and you know he's gonna be around for a little bit, maybe a it long, did, maybe a maybe, a, maybe a long bit. It changed a lot because they 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 seen a different me, they seen a different version of me. Can you be more more specific when you say that? What do you mean was so different? They seen that I can fight in the inside. They seen my I had the the, the stamina to continue to go. They see that I didn't slow down. They seen that I was a durable uh, fighter, and they wasn't expecting that out of me. 
Okay, now when guys win world titles, I've seen this so many times, a lot of fighters, they do like a victory lap, and there's nothing wrong with that. They go have like, you know, not not a complete nobody, but they don't necessarily take on the next best guy or another champion or, uh, you know, a, a hot fighter or somebody that the people are clamoring for at that moment. They're content to maybe take a fight, make a few dollars, put on a good show, you know, and, and then uh, maybe move on to that kind of fight down the road. But Stephen Fulton... Uh, did not want that, it seems to me. You went from winning the world title in your next fight against Brandon Figueroa to try to unify the titles. Uh, and I wonder what was in your mentality to do that right after you win the title in January, that at the end of the year, in your next date, November of this past year, you went right into that, that kind of battle. Because sometimes becoming a world champ, that just be it for certain guys. That wasn't my, that, that wasn't my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was becoming undisputed and going up and doing, doing the same thing. Now, when you beat Figaro, it was a close. It was a hell of a fight. First of all, and that's you know the fans that tuned in certainly got their their time and money's worth. Uh, you won a majority decision in a, in a very close and good fight. Some people thought he won. He obviously thought that he he won the fight. I know you very strongly think that you won the fight. Uh, being honest and not just kissing ass, I thought you won the fight also closely. Uh, when you've gone back and rewatched it, how do you see that fight uh, in terms of how wide did you think you won, and and do you understand why some people might look at it and say, well, you know what, maybe maybe. Uh, Maybe uh, Figueroa could have got the nod that night. I, I understand why some people say that due, due to his activity. But, yeah, they, they tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Okay, so Saturday, you're taking on Danny Roman. Again, you're not fighting another champion right away, but you're not exactly taking a soft touch. Danny Roman is not that far removed from being a unified champion in his own right and is uh, – you know, has has looked good, has made good fights, has fought you know some quality guys. He's won two fights in a row since a, a very uh, disputed split decision loss when he lost his titles. What was it about Danny Roman uh, that made you think to yourself, this is going to be another guy that I can help continue to build my resume, build my popularity, build my legacy? Uh, you know, taking on a good quality challenger. His accolades, his style, uh, his his record, everything. He's a, he's a durable fighter. He's a great fighter. Is there was there a particular attribute of his that you uh, that you like or you think you have to neutralize most uh, compared to anything else? Is it the jab? Is it a hook? Is it this? Is it that? No, uh, it's just more so he he he's not that much of a pressure fighter. I faced two pressure fighters in a row. He's not more so of a pressure fighter. And so, how do you see the fight unfolding? I'm sure you've like every uh, top fighter, you visualize how this is going to go. Uh, I feel like this fight is going to go, in my, of course, in my favor. But I feel like it's just gonna it's gonna be a great fight overall. I feel like it's, whatever I want to throw, I feel like I, I can I can land on him. Now you have eight knockouts in twenty victories, but it, my impression of watching you fight is while you may not have a ton of knockouts. You have pretty good power, even if they're not like knocking guys off their feet and stopping them. But you're you definitely moving guys around and, and landing. What do, what's your thought about that in terms of what your power is? You can I do. I feel like it's a show. I feel like the power will show this fight. I just got to set it up, and if I set it up the right way, then it'll happen. But I feel like the, the well, I know the, for sure the power is definitely there. And any coach that dealt with me can tell you like the power is there. It's just about setting it up now. You feel like you're learning that, like you're as you go to training camp and you work on things that that's something you can improve on. Yeah, but it all it also has a lot to do with who I'm facing, like the type of fighter I'm facing. You fighting, you facing a guy that's going to keep coming a uh, hundred miles at you per hour. Is it, you got to move and set up certain shots off of different angles. It'll take less less of power off of it. But then you got a guy like Roman who may sit there or may not bring that type of pressure and give you enough time to let them type of shots go. Right, and Danny Roman, so, the, so the, the, the listeners and the fans know, has not lost a fight, other than when he lost the title in 2020, hadn't lost since 2013, and in his three losses has never been stopped. So if you don't get the knockout, we'll forgive you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> just joking about that. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, you mentioned earlier that, that your, your ultimate goal, I know you've got to get through Saturday's fight and uh, take care of Danny Roman. I know he's a tough competitor. But you mentioned you want to be the undisputed champion, the other champion in the weight class. This is not the kind of weight class where a fighter would have to go and uh, pick off you know, one belt at a time through four different fights. You have two presently, and uh, it's MJ Akhmedaliev has the other two. He's an undefeated fighter. He's the guy that beat Danny Roman to win those belts. Uh, are, are you at all familiar with him, and what do you think of him? And is that the guy you'd like to fight down the road, even though, you know, if you follow boxing, you know these are not easy fights to make. It's different promoters, different broadcasters. Yeah, I know it's not easy to make, but I feel like we can make that happen. I feel like everybody will put their pride or whatever else aside to, to make an undisputed fight happen. And have you watched Akhmedaliev at all? 
He's a he's a good boxer. Had a big Not amateur. Really. I haven't watched like a full fight of him, but when it when it, when it, when it's time to face him, then I'll watch him. So if everything goes the way you hope after Saturday, uh, is that the kind of fight that you would want next, or you figure you'd have to maybe take another fight? Maybe there'll be a mandatory that type of thing. No, nah, I feel like that's the fight I would want next. I don't know if he would want it, but that's the fight I would want next once I get past June fourth. Well, you are fighting in a similar time frame. You have your fight on Saturday. He has his fight uh, a couple of weeks later, and it's his man. It's one of his mandatories coming up. So, in terms of the calendar, you'd actually be on the same schedule. I don't know if you realize that, but it would mean that if you come back for your next fight, you guys might be available for each other at the end of the year. Yeah, hopefully. And so you'll tell your people, just try to make that match. That's like the marching orders. Yeah, I already know. Okay, fair enough. Now you mentioned also your your dream is to 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 keep doing what you're doing, win uh, these other belts, uh, win Saturday, become undisputed eventually in uh, the 122 pound weight class. But then you mentioned about moving up, and so tell me about that. Like, what do you think your time frame is? Uh, it seems to me that based on your size and your abilities, uh, certainly you'll be a kind of guy that can handle uh, fighting in the featherweight division. Oh, for sure. I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy walking around. I'm a, a huge guy. Power wise, my 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 power. I feel like I would have a lot more to show power at 126 rather than 122. Now, fortunately, you know, because you fight with uh, under the, in the PBC stable, they actually have uh, some guys with titles in that in that weight division. They have Mark McSai, who has a fight also on Showtime coming up uh, this summer, uh, and they also have, uh, the uh, that's the WBC champion, and they also uh, are involved with Leo Santa Cruz, who is the WBA champion, but he has his uh, mandatory against Leewood coming up. Have you paid attention or watched those guys, at least, you know, peripherally, let's say, Max Ayo and Santa Cruz, to think about maybe guys that I might be in your sights on the road? I fight uh, Gary Russell live. Oh, okay, so. and what were your thoughts on him? I mean, he's a pressure fighter. Uh, He's a pressure fire. He's he relies on his strength a lot. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Leo. Yeah, familiar. Uh, he throws a lot of punches, a lot of firepower. Does it excite you then to know that you've been fighting good guys? You got another good guy coming up Saturday. There's possible other, you know, good quality guys. You're not fighting in a barren weight class where it's hard to fight, hard to find good challenges. Does that get you excited when you think about it? No, not not more so excited, but it's just good to know. Good it's to, just good to And why is that? Just because you know that you're going to give yourself good fights and the fans good fights? For sure. More importantly, myself. <laughs> right. And, and, and me knowing that whoever I face, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the job done no matter what. And I've got that. Understood. Exactly. Uh Stephen, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me about all this. I certainly wish you the best of luck in your fight on Showtime Saturday night. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks. Appreciate you. So there you go. Extended conversation. And I like what you were saying kind of uh, as the tease and even while talking to him, that's the tradition of the Philadelphia fighters. And he is in that long line of championship, uh, tradition, championship, Philadelphia fighters. And uh, if the Figueroa fight was anything, uh, to give us an indication of what this might be. Look for some action. Look for Fulton will mix it up. He'll stand in there. He'll trade, right? Yeah, and so will Danny Roman, which is why it's a very appealing fight. I mean, it's it's uh, and it's also a good measuring stick because uh, people who listen to it, one of the things that that uh, Fulton would like if he wins, he wants a unification with Aquadalia. Now, mm-hmm. as we discussed, that's a hard fight to make because of the differences of promoters and and broadcasters, and it's not necessarily that mega of a fight in terms of what the dollars are, but. Um, if you're gonna, if you want to see how you might do against uh, Aquadalia, at least for the fans to measure, well, who's the one guy that that uh, Danny Roman lost his titles to? It was Aquadalia in a very, very close fight that uh, really a lot of people thought could have gone the other way. I believe a split decision. So we can see how Stephen Fulton does against Danny Roman. We know how Aquadalia did against Danny Roman, and uh, and even besides that, just their styles. I think it that there's no doubt. I don't know if it's going to be kind of the same rock and sock and kind of fight as the Figaro fight because he's um, you know, uh, definitely a more of an action fighter, let's say, than Danny Roman is. But Danny Roman's been in some good fights also. He's not afraid to uh, to stand in there and mix it up, and neither is Fulton. I think that's going to be a good, a good, solid fight on Saturday, and I'm looking forward to that one. I do as well. I look forward to the Figueroa fight being run back, too, with Fulton at some point, if we can get there. Dan, excellent job with that. Stand by. We're going to talk uh, undisputed lightweight championship fight from Australia. Highly anticipated Cambosis Haney. We'll go over the different fights as part of the Big Fight Weekend preview momentarily. 
We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. We are back in one final time. Again, we're here in the preview mode on the Big Fight Weekend preview, usually out by Friday midday, if not earlier on Friday morning. Shelf life stays good all the way through the weekend. And man, we got a ton of championship fights that we need to mix up now and preview right here on the podcast. Dan Rayfield back aboard uh, with me here. So we talked a little bit about Fulton and Roman and your thoughts. Again, that's the Showtime uh, championship card coming out of Minneapolis. They'll begin with the Gervonta Davis uh, Roly Romero replay at the beginning of that. And then you're also interested in David Morrell, uh, the super middleweight, who is the co-feature fight. That's before the Fulton fight. Give me a little bit on Morrell real quick before we move on. Well, Morrell is only 6-0, and but he's one of these 6-0 and guys, kind of like the Lomachenkos of the world, maybe not that good, but who's, who had such a deep amateur background that he was thrown in against quality opposition right away. So he won the, the second-tier WBA like regular title you know, after just a few fights. But putting the belt aside, he's a really excellent young fighter uh, and, and, and crowd-pleasing. You know, he's from Cuba, but he adopted Minneapolis as his hometown, so he draws fans there. That's one of the main reasons why this event is taking place in Minneapolis, even though he's not in the main event of the show. Um, but he's taken on Calvin Henderson, you know, a solid professional. Obviously, uh, Morello is the favorite uh, to, to, to take care of business there. Um, but it should be, I think, a crowd-pleasing kind of fight. Morello is in crowd-pleasing fights. And it'll be another chance to see the evolution of a younger fighter uh, in that weight class that is populated by Canelo Alvarez as the champion, as well as other quality guys like a Benavides, like a Caleb Plant, you know, maybe a Charlo eventually moving up from the middleweight division. So he's going to figure in the mix with those types of names you know, in the not too distant future. And this is a chance to, to see one of the better younger fighters uh, do his thing. All right. And again, on the odds for our friends at bet us, we should mention Morel is minus 3000 expected to win easily over Calvin Henderson, the over under only four and a half rounds on that fight. We see if we get the Morel knockout Fulton, by the way, minus five fifty against Roman over under 10 and a half rounds on that one. Very interesting. Just putting it out there. Not that you have to make a prediction here on this podcast, uh, but we do have the BetUS show that is coming uh, from our friends at BetUS, where we do kind of go on the record with some of these fights. Interesting that uh, that the Fulton Roman is 10 and a half rounds on the over-under. We've been keying in on those. That's a yeah. long way to go. They're, the odds makers think that's a distance fight. A lot, of, a lot of fights at that level. I, and I mean, I'm not like, I have not spent like, you know, years studying odds and things, but I always make it a point to at least check them out, you know, for the bigger fights or certainly when I've been traveling two fights in Vegas and places like that. Uh, and 10 and a half is sort of like a common sort of number, sometimes 11 and a half even. Uh, it doesn't surprise me because Fulton and Roman are both excellent fighters. They're both at the top level of the 122 pound weight class, but neither one of them is that big of a puncher. And a matter of fact, in the interview that, that, that you played, people heard it. Uh, Stephen Fulton and I talked a little bit about his punching power. He's got eight knockouts and 20 wins. Uh, Daniel Roman has not a, got a big percentage of knockouts either. And, uh, you know, I do think that fight goes a long way. And that's the reason why that's there. Again, it's very eh, 10 and a half on that one. But I got to be honest, I, I, I love Fulton in that fight. All right. And, and, and again, he's on a roll and he's got he's got dollar signs because the Figueroa rematch is lucrative. Uh, and again, the uh, the undisputed is lucrative. Speaking of undisputed, we have been waiting. We're finally going to get it. George Cambosis will defend uh, his unified versions of the title. He has three of the belts. The other belt belongs to Devin Haney. Uh, the WBC, you and I could go on and on about Haney and the, about, about, he's got the, he's got the WBC belt. Here it is. All four belts on the line. This is Sunday afternoon in Melbourne, Australia. This is Saturday night in the U S on ESPN. Give me the preview, Dan Rayfield. What do we think about this one? It is, it is in a rugby stadium, Marvel stadium in Melbourne. They're expecting some 50,000 raucous environment for Cambosis to defend the titles. What do you think here about this? I think if you're a boxing fan, how are you not loving the recent schedule we're on? This is just another highly significant fight uh, in a, in a past several months filled with highly significant fights, uh, unification fights. You know, you had the Errol Spence unification fight. You had the Castaño and Charlo for the undisputed title at 154 pounds. You had a big mega Tyson Fury heavyweight title fight. We've had Canelo Bivo with that upset in a very big fight. Uh, and just, you know, Shakur Stevenson against Oscar Valdez in a unification fight. It's just like, I'm sure I'm forgetting one. There's just one after another. Right. And this is another one where we get the chance to see, uh, you know, these two guys uh, at the top of the, the, the lightweight division go at it for the undisputed title. You have to give uh, uh, a lot of credit 
um, to both guys for taking the fight. George Cambosa said from the moment he upset Tiafimo Lopez this past November that when he went home for his first defense, which he was clear he wanted to fight in Australia, but he didn't want to, you know, a layup opponent. He didn't want a victory lap kind of fight. He wanted a real fight. He agreed to fight Lomachenko, not a guy people really look to call out because Lomachenko uh, uh, elected to remain in Ukraine where he's helping defend his country against uh, the Russians in their war. Um, unfortunately, he had to pull out of the fight, but that was an opportunity for Devin Haney to raise his hand and say, I'll take the fight when offered. And uh, he made big changes by switching promoters, by switching broadcasters, and he's going uh, to fight on the road, all credit. You know, he said after uh, after the, the Cambosis and Lopez fight had happened, and he was asked, would, would you be interested to do that fight? He's like, I'll go to, what do you say, Jupiter or Saturn, wherever you fight him. I believe it was Jupiter he's, in my solar so he's system collection. Australia's not that far compared to <laughs> Jupiter, but he's it's, it's maybe going to be a little more hostile, I suppose. But he's going down to Melbourne. He's been there for two weeks. Um, he, he was in great spirits before he went when I had a chance to see him and speak to him at his media day. We played that interview uh, a couple a week ago or so on, on the podcast, but uh, it's a big opportunity for Haney. He can come home with all the belts and for George, it's his dream come true. He's wanted to defend at home. He's fought on the road. He's an ultimate road warrior mm -hmm. Hadn't fought at home. I don't believe since 2017 fought in places like Greece, the United States, the UK, um, you know, in, in a variety of countries. And now he's finally got the, the, the welcome, welcome home and the fans are going to show up and listen, big stadium, big crowd, high stakes, two outstanding fighters with different kinds of styles. George is not a big puncher, but he's a pressure fighter. He come, come right to you. Not afraid to mix it up. He, he dropped Teofimo Lopez. That's got to have did. Haney concerned. Um, you know, so he, you know, George is going to be there to fight. Haney is, uh, not a big puncher either, maybe not as big as George, but he can hurt you. I've seen, you know, the Antonio Moran fight a few years ago, knockout of the year in my opinion, but he's a speedy fighter. He's a, got tremendous technique. He's, he's a very smart fighter. It just, it lends itself to a, a clash of styles, high stakes. I just can't wait for this fight. I'm, I'm hoping that, that the Danny Roman fight with Fulton is not on at the same time as uh, that they're getting started with the main event on the ESPN show with Haney, and uh and cambosis because that's a hard to like figure out what do you want to watch live uh, but in any event uh george cambosis against devin haney is a first class fight it's it's uh it's gonna it's a big event in australia and look at the winner of that fight if it's cambosis he can just move on and, and try to mix it up with one of the other big names in the weight class if haney is the winner george has the right to a rematch so we would probably see that fight again depending on how it goes but uh it's just a great event for the sport Real quick, before we move off and get out of here with a couple of more uh, fights that are upcoming, uh, the the topic that we brought up that Bill Haney, who's been his trainer, his dad, he's not there. So now the reality has set in. We have fight week going on, the press conference going on, the open to the media workout going on. It's all setting in in some ways to the negative that, Hey, I, I am, I am here without my dad. I don't have a lot of fan support. It, it is me against Australia, almost walking into that stadium. How much do you think that factors in? Maybe you don't think it factors in at all or very little Dan Rayfield, but do you, do you think that some of that, I, I am on the road and it is, it is me against, against this guy and the country of Australia. Will that set in some on Devin Haney? What do you think? I think you, there's no, you're not human if it doesn't at least cross your mind, but Devin, he's 23 years old, but he's a very mature guy. Uh, you know, having, having uh, spent time with him over the last few years and interviewed him many times and been around him. He's a very mature guy. He's not worried about this. this is a kid that came up when he was a teenager and went to Mexico and fought in bars and pool halls and like little places where he was not the number one guy where he was fighting Mexican opponents who, you know, the, the fans wanted him. Uh, to lose to, or there might only been a couple of hundred fans there. He came up the hard way. He was not a bonus guy with a big contract coming out of the Olympics. He's made, he's earned his opportunity. And I don't think he's going to be phased by that. He's in good hands with Yoel Judah, who's uh, the trainer that's with him. That's a friend of their families that he's been knowing his entire life. Who's a, who's a great boxing guy also, and, and knows what he's doing in the ring. And, and I think he'll be just fine. He's look, he's, he's now with top rank that their promoter, uh, the co-promoter of this event with Lou DiBella. So Bob Arum, 90 years old, made the trip to Australia to make sure he's with Devin Haney. He's got, you know, any number of top-ranked people are on hand to make sure that things are run smoothly. They did a good job in terms of picking the officials. There's no Australian officials involved in the fight, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Now he's just got to go in there and, and execute. And uh, and the same goes for George. But in terms, you know, but George is home and he's been relishing fighting at home. But I think that Devin Haney uh, in some way relishes fighting on the road because he feels like this is the moment where, I can prove 
not only do I, that I am a real guy, that I am a real champion, because you meet all, as we've discussed, he's got a lot of grief because he's the email champion, which is bullshit, but whatever. Uh, right. But now he's got Here's the chance. chance. To, Here's your chance. This is it. This is, all that stuff is irrelevant. It's you and Cambosis in the ring. The winner's coming out with all the titles. They're going to call the shots in the weight class. All due respect to the guys that generate more money, maybe like a Tank Davis, like a Ryan Garcia. But And that's all well and good. You want to be the number one economic force in the division. Who doesn't? But if you want to be the champ, which is what boxers should aspire to, besides making money, uh, it's going to be Devin Haney or George Cambosis, whoever emerges with those titles. And uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a fight. I'm really, really excited for it. All right. Again, Haney is actually slightly favored on the bet US line at minus 180. How about that? Cambosis, slight underdog plus 150. Tasty underdog over under 10 and a half rounds. I just I, I remember the whole Manny Pacquiao, Jeff Horn battle, and I just don't see if if Cambosis is good with the crowd roaring for him. I don't know how Haney gets a decision in this. It would have to be, to me, I'm saying this, one more quick thought before we move on. It's going to have to be a knockout, I think, or, or I mean, if it's close, they're going to give the nod, Australian judges or not, to the roaring crowd to Cambosis. I just believe that. What's your thought real quick? If you have an American fighter going to Australia, the challenge for the titles, and he's the favorite. The bookies know what they're doing. This is Devin Haney's fight by decision. Not easy, not necessarily wide. Should be a good fight. No mm. disrespect to Cambosis. But at the end, as I've said to you and others for years, as the uh, as the, the words that ring in my ears from my good pal Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> skills pay the bills. And George Cambosis has skills, but Devin Haney has more skills. He has more speed. Uh, George is not a big-time puncher. I feel like this is the opportunity where, where Devin Haney achieves his dreams and goes on the road, gets a decision, and wins the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. Calling a shot right here. And again, if he gets that, it's a one-way rematch clause. He's fighting Cambosis again in Australia because that's already pre-agreed to. If Cambosis wins, there's no automatic rematch. He can fight whomever he wants. There's the politics of boxing. What happens when you're the champ? Haney understands that. Give him full credit for but going it's, and it's, taking part in it. Yeah. It's not necessarily the rematch because Canelo Alvarez had that one-way rematch clause and he opted not to enforce it. And he's going back to the triple jury match. So it's probable, I guess, if right. Haney is the winner, but not a guarantee. All right. We'll see what happens in that one. Real quick, earlier in the day, U.S. time, Cardiff, Wales. Uh, we have another title fight that you're going to illuminate for us. Kenichi Ogawa. Joe Cordina, IBF junior lightweight title. Give me the quick synopsis on that matchroom boxing to zone main event earlier in the afternoon, U.S. time. Well, the quick synopsis, this is Ogawa making his first defense. Look, he had a really good fight on the undercard when Tiafimo Lopez and Cambosis had their fight in November in New York, and he won uh, that vacant title. And now he is making his first defense going to Cardiff, Wales, which is the hometown of Cordina, who's undefeated, but a little bit older. He's only got about 14 fights, but he... Has got a late start to his pro career because he was in the Olympics in uh, 2016. And, uh, you know, he's 30 years old now. So he, he, he feels the urgency. I, I, I saw his remarks in the news conference. I'm 30 years old. If I don't get it done now, you know, it's a long road back at that age. I've got to get back in line. Um, it's an interesting fight. Ogawa was a good puncher. He's got good skills. I think he's got a good chin. Uh, Cordina has looked solid. He's won the, you know, the he's done it the way a lot of British fighters do. He won the British title. He won the Commonwealth title. Didn't win the European title. But the point is, hasn't really fought the top guys. Ogawa's a re, a resume is definitely better. But again, he's the hometown guy. Um, he's got that deep amateur background as an Olympian. And um, we'll see if he can get the job done. You know, if he wins, that's a big deal over there. If Ogawa wins, you know, good for him. Uh, hard to go on the road. Uh, we've seen it that guys go on yep. the road we're going to watch it with uh, Devin Haney going on the road to Australia. Um, that's a hard one to pick, but uh, I think I kind of lean towards Agawa. but if Cordina wins, it wouldn't be a shocker uh, given his background, given his hometown. Cordina uh, slightly situation. favored minus 185 on the bet us line. Ogawa plus 155, very evenly matched from the odds makers on this one. What that tells me uh, TJ is that the odds makers see it as an even fight and give uh, Cordina the benefit of the doubt because he's the hometown guy. We'll see if that is the case. A reminder, too, we've got that BetUS preview show. Depending on when you're hearing us, you'll see us on TV going over these lines and spreads on BetUS live Friday 1 Eastern. See the replay through BetUS TV and their YouTube channel as well as we go over 
all of this. By the way, uh, again, the monster, Naoya Inoue and Nonito Donaire will fight for the unified Bantamweight title next Tuesday, a Tuesday night Japanese championship fight in Japan. We can get into this a little more on the Fight Freaks Unite recap because it'll be closer to Tuesday, but we just want this on the fans' radar. It's not a fight on a weekend. It's a fight next Tuesday, and it's a fantastic fight. Just have it on the radar, right, as we depart here. Yeah, and if you're living in the United States, you're going to be up awfully early if you're going to watch it because, as you mentioned, it's it's nighttime in Japan for that fight, but uh, it's uh, the the main card on ESPN Plus in the United States, 5.30 a.m., so set your alarms uh, unless you're out partying really late and you're just going <laughs> to stay up through. I don't know about I, that. But anyway, look, they had the 2019 fight of the year yeah. by acclamation. Everybody picked it as the fight of the year, all the outlets, all the media. Um, and it was just a, on a, just a tremendous battle. Uh, uh, in a way, got the victory in a, in a hard-fought decision. But he knows he was in a hard, tough fight. He got busted up a little bit. He had a fractured orbit, a messed up nose. Um, you know, Donaire got knocked down. It was a knockdown, dragout kind of fight. And... Uh, what can you say? Donaire is going to the Hall of Fame, obviously. Uh, in a way, is in the process of fashioning his own Hall of Fame resume. And it's, uh, you know, he's the young gun. Nonito is uh, pushing uh, almost 40 years old at this point. But he was the oldest fighter ever to win a Bantamweight title. Remember, he regained a title. He lost a title to, in a way, in the first fight. That was right. also a youth occasion. But since then, he won a title against Ubali, looked good doing it, and has defended it, looked good again, and has been... Uh, looking excellent with that great left hook that he's always had that can knock out anybody. And uh, it's capable of knocking out uh, in a way also. And again, I expect just another fantastic battle. These are two really outstanding fighters, two hall of fame caliber guys uh, with skills, with power, with speed, with intelligence. I mean, again, it's another, and I didn't even mention, we were talking about all the great fights. I forgot to mention in a way and, uh, and Donaire's rematch. It's just another in a long line of what has just been an amazing uh, first part of, uh, 2022 and even stretching back to the to the latter part of 2021 just one big time fight after the other agreed and the monster has obviously been introduced to the u.s audience fighting on top ranked shows in the u.s a couple of times over the last couple of years again we've got a little more time on that one as we release the preview podcast because it's not until tuesday night in japan that they will have that one man this has been a jam-packed show uh tremendous stuff across the board we'll we'll keep up to date on uh, on when and if the uh, the guys off the Triller card get paid, keep reading the website bigfightweekend.com uh, for that championship fights again from Melbourne, Australia to Minnesota to Cardiff, Wales, and eventually next Tuesday to Japan. My friend, we've covered a lot, and great job with Stephen Fulton as well. Thanks to the Showtime folks, uh, everybody there, Chris De Blasio, Steve Pratt, everybody with Showtime for helping line up that interview. We'll see what Fulton has in the Minnesota main event. I think we're good. Anything else in closing, Dan Rayfield, before we're done? Well, I'll just give the shout-out to who I worked directly with to secure that Fulton interview, and that was who works with Chris, and that's Mitch Abramson, also another top-notch PR guy. We love all of those guys for the help here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Dan, thank you. Enjoy the fights. We're recapping off the weekend on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Thank you, sir. You bet, TJ. There is Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, right here to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Recap podcast coming off the weekend. Enjoy all the action. Again, Haney Cambosis. Uh, whether it's Fulton Roman, whether it is Ogawa and Cordina, we've got all these different fights in different parts of the globe, and we've, built, we've uh, had a blast previewing them. Let's see what happens this weekend. Thank you for being with us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Bye.